Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this week's message on the Antioch Indie Podcast. We hope you can step away from this message being encouraged and blessed and to move into your week in the mighty name of Jesus. Have a great day. Are we going to dismiss the kiddos as they head to Antioch Kids? Everybody say bye kids. <laughs> oh, they're running out of here. Does that mean there's a snack somewhere or something? <laughs> you guys hungry for the word of God this morning? Go ahead and pull out your Bibles and something to take notes with. We're going to have a great morning hearing from an awesome preacher, the legendary Zanako, the original Zanako, the OZ of Antioch Indy, Mr. Steve Zanako. Man, thank you for the standing ovation from the front row. Man, you get no love around here. I didn't even get you your podium. Next time I'll get that for you. Yeah, I sure you will. Well, I just returned from Ukraine last night, and I want to greet you. It's Privyet means hello in Ukraine. And just in case you think I'm bragging or showing off, you just experienced 50% of my vocabulary in Ukrainian. <laughs> After 45 trips, 15 years, that's half of it. It's pretty pitiful. <clears throat> We're in a series, The Church That God Builds. Our series is grounded in the book of Acts because the book of Acts records the story of the church that God is building. And the four cornerstones of that church that Andrew taught us through last week, that God is pouring out revelation on his people, that his people are saying yes in that revelation and actively responding to the revelation, which leads then to repentance, which means that you're given a brand new life and then receiving power that's literally out of this world, receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to warn you, warn you meaning in the word like, Wow. I just want to tell you, it's happening. It's happening here in this body. It's happening all over the place. And I believe it's because we are a people that are willing to receive and we are willing to say yes and we are willing to respond. And I just want to say to us as a people, get ready. Because I think it's been pretty crazy around here. I think it's going to get nuts. I really do. Two weeks ago, Karis did an incredible job leading us into this series in a message titled Recover All. The message was this. We must not have the thought process about escaping this world, escaping this current world. Instead, like David, we need to launch into this world right here, right now. Pursue faith. Overtake anything that the enemy has laid claim to and take back everything and everyone for God. And then last week, Andrew, he taught us through those four pillars of the church and showed us that the church that God builds is the story of God reestablishing his rule and reign on the face of the earth. And this week, we're going to go further into the book of Acts to see that this idea of taking back what is God's this idea of the rule and, retain, and uh, reign of God returning to the earth, it's the very purpose that God builds his church. And the church that God builds is built on a people of purpose. I have a friend, very successful in the world, having sold a business, he's independently wealthy. He can pretty much buy anything that he wants and spend his time any way he wants, and he pretty much does. I landed home from Ukraine a few years ago and I received a text from him. And all the text said was, how long does it last? 
And I texted him back and said, how long does what last? He said, the fulfillment, the feeling that you have from going on these trips and serving. And I texted him back and I said, it never goes away. And it was about a 10 minute gap for his response. And this is what he texted back to me. I wish I had that. I medicate to make it through each and every day. And when I put my head down at night, I have no idea why I got up that day. I believe that the most important question we must ask and answer in our lives, and the question that Jesus answers and makes clear to us is, what is my purpose? Why am I here? The question begins to surface in us at a very young age, as we saw in our baptisms, even as teenagers, we long to understand and know that there is meaning and purpose on our lives. Here's a hard truth. When we measure ourselves in the world, and when we measure ourselves by the world, when we measure ourselves economically, positionally, politically, historically, the result is pretty discouraging. Even my friend who is success, success by every measurement of this world, when he measures himself by the world, he concluded that his life doesn't really matter that much. I believe we, as human beings, we're in the middle of an identity crisis. And in the absence of knowing our real meaning and our real purpose, we're taking more and more into our lives and yet being fulfilled less and less. But, but... Compare my friend's text to the letters of Paul. Paul writes at a time of even more oppression, more injustice, more division, more hatred, more confusion than we have today. In fact, he writes from prison and knowing he will soon die, he writes having lost all his riches, having lost his position, having lost his freedom. Paul writes about his life following Jesus even as he anticipates dying. And he says this about his journey as a disciple of Jesus. He says this, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as, la as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Paul's not a man stuck on question marks. Who am I? What is my purpose? Paul had tasted and was living the true life, and all he wanted was more. Paul was not stuck on question marks. He lived his life as exclamation points. Here's the difference. My friend was medicating with the temporal what can only be satisfied by the, by the eternal. He was seeking in the world what can only be found in the kingdom of God. Paul found his purpose. Was Paul born knowing his purpose? No. Paul was more lost than my friend, more lost than any of us, more lost than me. Where did he find his purpose and his calling? In a synagogue or a temple? No. He found it on a dirt road. How did he find his purpose and his meaning? The same way you and I will find ours, by listening to the voice of Jesus.
See, Paul's story is our story. Paul started his life as Saul, and we find his story chronicled in the book of Acts. Paul lived in a time in when Jerusalem was under Roman rule, but Jerusalem was always a problem child for Rome because of its stressed relationship between the Romans and the Jews, because of its stressed relationship between government and God. For a Roman leader to be assigned to lead Jerusalem meant that the rest of their lives would be nothing but headaches and conflict. Jerusalem was not particularly important to Rome, so, and when he was given leadership, their sole purpose really was to maintain peace in a city that always had conflict. That's why Pilate crucified Jesus. Not because he thought he was guilty or because he was wrong, but he thought that by crucifying Jesus, he would calm the Jews down and peace would return to Jerusalem, and he couldn't have been more wrong. As the book of Acts opens, Jesus has been crucified, and he's buried, and he's risen again, and he's appeared to over 500 as well. And the most important event in all of history has, of course, changed Jerusalem as well. The Jesus movement did not die with Jesus' crucifixion, as was hoped. Instead, it started a wildfire. And during the time chronicled by the book of Acts, the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders are both trying to put out this wildfire called this Jesus movement. And one of the Jewish leaders leading the charge to kill this movement was called Saul of Tarsus. Saul first shows up in Acts chapter 7 at the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr for Jesus. It is Saul who sanctions the stoning of Stephen, who happily holds the cloak of all the men as they stone Stephen to death. Saul then asks permission from the leaders, can I go and round up all these other Jesus followers wherever they are and either persecute or put them in prison or kill them? He gets permission. In Acts chapter 9, Saul is on his way to Damascus to round up more Jesus followers, but instead he has a miraculous personal encounter with Jesus on the road. Jesus audibly speaks to Saul. Acts 9, verses 4 through 6. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and it will be told of you what you must do. And the story gets incredible. You've got to read it sometimes. It's action-packed. Paul is blind for three days. He will not eat. He will not drink. But the Lord comes to another Jesus follower named Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go to Saul. Ananias is afraid. Jesus, Lord, this is the guy who's killing us all. And the Lord says, don't be afraid. Go. I have a message that you must deliver to Saul. Acts 9, 15 through 16. The Lord said to him, to Ananias, go, for he has chosen an instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Because of this encounter with Jesus, Paul, Saul, completely changed the direction of his life. He eventually changes his name to Paul. Paul would go on to write over 60% of our New Testament. He would go on to be arguably the greatest witness for Jesus the world has ever known. And it is this impersonal encounter with Jesus that Paul receives his life purpose. The, pers pers the, the purpose that left him so fulfilled, excited, and longing for more. Even and in prison, even as he waited to die, all he wanted was more. 
And Paul becomes a major player in witnessing for Jesus. Paul plants churches. He counsels with the original 12 to develop this new faith called Christianity, these new Jesus followers. And he testifies for Jesus before Jews, before Romans, before governors, before kings. Paul is stoned. He is whipped. He is shipwrecked. He is bitten by a poisonous stake. And he simply can't be stopped from testifying about this Jesus. The encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus naturally becomes a part of Paul's story no matter where he goes. Each time he shares the story throughout the book of Acts, we learn a little bit more about all that Jesus said to him on the road that day. The encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus becomes a part of every testimony that Paul gives. Remember, Jesus had said to Paul through Ananias, Go, for he is chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. Paul ends up doing exactly that. Paul consistently irritated the Jews and the Romans because he simply would not shut up. Stephen was easy for the Jewish leaders and the Romans to take care of. Stephen was poor. He had no position. He had no influence. He had no power. So they could simply take him out in the courtyard and stone him. Paul was a different matter. Paul, although he was a Jew, also was a Roman citizen. And this meant he had rights. And every time they tried to kill Paul, he proclaimed his rights for his citizenship. And the Romans, even though they didn't want to, had to protect him. Even when he's about to be tortured by some soldiers, Paul says, um, excuse me, are you sure you want to do that to a fellow citizen of Rome? And they freak out. And they pull back. And they just don't know what to do with him. So they send him off to Felix, the governor. Felix hears his testimony. I don't know what to do with him either. He invites King Agrippa to hear from Paul. So this one man, now he testifies before King Agrippa. So this one man, who no one can stop talking, ends up testifying to religious leaders, soldiers, governors, and kings, just like Jesus said he would on the dirt road. It is in Paul's testimony to King Agrippa that we learn the most about all that Jesus said to him on that day on the road. What it was that Jesus said that changed Paul's entire life. And if we will receive it today, a message that will empower and change our lives forever as well. Paul tells King Agrippa, Acts 26, verses 13 through 18. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice in the Hebrew dialect saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now remember, that part we had from Paul's previous tellings. This part we already had. But Paul, as he continues, shares more of what Jesus said to him on the road to Damascus. Jesus said to Paul, get up, stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you. That's Revelation. Rescuing you from the Jewish people, from the Gentiles, but to whom I am sending you. And here is the life-changing, life-giving part. I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. In chapter 9, all we got was the first part of, what, why are you persecuting me? 
But in this part, in this part, Jesus starts, for this purpose I appear to you. And then he says, go, go to open their eyes that they may move from darkness to light. Go to deliver them from the domain of Satan and bring them back to my domain. Go that they can receive forgiveness. Go that they may receive their inheritance from me. Jesus' message to Paul is clear. I am not just saving you so that you will go to heaven. I am saving you to send you. I'm saving you to send you. And I have to tell you that this realization in my life changed the trajectory of my life. Is that I realized for many years as a believer, I was living saved, but I was not living sent. Being saved is your gift. It is not your purpose. Being saved is your gift, but it is not your purpose. Andrew has said so many times, salvation, it is not a destination, it's an invitation. An invitation into a life filled with meaning and purpose as one who is sent. My friend, the one on, who sent me the text, he's a believer. He's saved. He just isn't living sent. And therefore, because of that, he's missing God, his God-given purpose. That's why he doesn't know why his days are lived for, what his days are lived for. I believe this is a problem in the big C church. Too many of us are living saved, but not living sent. And the church that God builds is for both saving us and sending us. And we will not live fulfilled, purposeful lives until we are sent. And this is a really critical part. Jesus' words to Paul were not a one-off message just to Paul. This message is a, Jesus, a message Jesus gives to all his disciples through all of history, in all of his teaching, and he gives it to us. When other disciples were in prison in Acts chapter 5, it is an angel of the Lord who comes to them and sets them free. See, because the disciples must be set free. They have a purpose. The angel tells them what that purpose is. In verse 20, go, stand, and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of life. The whole message of light, life. Not just about heaven. The whole message of this life. It is this whole message of life that Jesus gave to Paul. And it's this whole message of life that we see in all of Jesus' teaching throughout his message in the Gospels and everything else. It's this whole message of life when Jesus stands up in the synagogue for the first time and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. It is the, this whole message of life that Jesus gives in our charge when he gives this charge in Matthew 10, 7 and 8. Go, and as you go, 
preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely you give. It is this whole message of life when Jesus says to his church, you are my church. You are the light of the world. Go and shine before men. And it is the whole message of this life that Jesus gives this to us. Antioch Church, this body of believers, and to each one of us in this church when he says, go, tell them the kingdom of God has come near. It is my belief from the scriptures that when Jesus died on the cross, he was not just picturing all of us arriving in heaven safely one day. I had this vision of like arriving there and Jesus looking at me and saying, wow, I'm just really glad you're here. I believe that will be true. But if it's all I lived for, I believe he will look at me and say, I'm so glad you're here, but what about the rest of it? What about the rest of it? I believe when Jesus died on the cross, he pictured all of us, his disciples, going out and bringing justice and bringing mercy and purity and hope and promise and healing and deliverance. And if we don't do that, he's going to say, what about the rest of it? If we're going to carry this mission, we have to answer each one of our hearts and our minds and our souls this question. How important are we, Antioch Church, to this mission? How important are you? as an individual to this church that God builds? And I want to give you the answer. Indispensable. Let me show you. Matthew 13 records one of Jesus' longest sermons. Longest sermons. It's all about the kingdom of God. And Jesus in the sermon tells some parables. One is about a mustard seed. 13, 31 through 33. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than the other seeds, but when it is full grown, it's larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air can come and nest in its branches. He goes on to sell another parable. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. In the time that Jesus lived and walked the face of the earth, all the people of faith believed that the kingdom was going to come. All the people of faith believed that the kingdom was going to come. They just didn't know how it was going to come, and they didn't know how it was going to start. I believe it's in these parables that Jesus answers the questions to his people on how the kingdom will come and how it will start. The point I believe Jesus is making in this sermon and these parables is the kingdom will come when my disciples give their lives to me to build the kingdom on. That's when the kingdom will start. When we take our little lives, which are actually huge lives, and entrust them to Jesus. I believe Jesus is saying, I'm not concerned about the size of your faith. I just need to give you to give me whatever I have. You know, we have this picture of, or that we have the story of Jesus feeding the, uh, the 5,000. And all he's got is the five loaves and the two fish, right? And so the disciples come and say, well, you know, what's this? And Jesus says, just, just bring it to me. And, and, the, and the scriptures say that he blessed it. And then he gave it to his disciples and so go give it to all of them. It doesn't say he blessed it and 50 baskets of food and fish showed up. 
It says he blessed it. And as far as I can tell from the story, what he blessed were those five loaves and those two fish. And those disciples had a decision to make. As they sat there and said, okay, he blessed it. He gives it back to him and says, now go give it to the disciples. Go give it to everybody. And they look and say, um, and they had to decide. And I believe the picture is this, that they went out in faith. And so they gave a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread to the first person. And then they gave a little bit more bread fish to the next person. And then they reached back on the plate or the bag, whatever they're carrying is. And every time they reached in, they had to have faith that there would be more. And they just kept reaching in and going out and kept reaching in and going out and kept reaching in and going out until their faith built. And they said, every time I reach in here, Jesus is going to make sure I have enough. I believe Jesus is saying to his church is, I'm not asking you to have enough. I'm just asking you to give me what you have. I don't care about your job. I don't care about your title. I don't care how big your bank account is. I don't care about your strength. I don't care about your will. And I don't care about your past. Just give me whatever you have and watch what I will do with this. I'm asking for one thing, that you give me whatever you have, however small it is that you've given to me, and you're not going to believe what I build out of it. But, but for the kingdom to come, I need your life. Will you give it to me? I was in Ukraine right after the revolution happened. I don't even know if you're familiar. There was a, uh, there was a revolution, and then the Russians came in, and they have attacked, and there's still a war going on in the eastern part of Ukraine. And the Ukrainians are totally under, uh, they don't have enough weapons, they don't have enough men, they're totally outgunned by the Russians. So I know the hopelessness and the fear that they carry. So I go to stay there one time, and I walk down in the hotel lobby, and there is a U.S. Special Forces guy in the lobby of Ukraine, looking so cool. And he's in his uniform, and he's, at, he's sitting alone, and I walked up, and I said, I know a lot of people. They're going to be really happy you're here. I said, how many of you are there? He said, three. And then he said this, don't worry. We can do a lot with a little. I believed him, and I wanted to be him. And I want to be him for Jesus. We, this church, we're called to be a people that make this statement. Don't worry. We can do a lot with a little. We must be a people who do not wait to see the increases of all the baskets to go out. We need to be a people that take whatever we have, go out, and trust whatever we need next. Jesus is going to give it to us. That's what the world is waiting for. That's the church that God builds. Our purpose is to bring the kingdom of God. Our value, what's our value? Jesus wants to bring, build a kingdom on it, on your life. What does the kingdom touching earth look like? It looks big, it looks small, big or small. It's kingdom, so it's just cool. 
and it's just great. It doesn't matter whether it's big or small. That's what's so cool about this. So I just came back from camps for the disabled in the Ukraine. The kingdom looks like an autistic girl who's 14 that her parents had decided they had to give her up because they could not get her to engage with them under any purpose or any reason. And so they lost hope and they give up. And she comes to camp and the third day of camp stands up smiling and engaging and takes part in a skit. And her parents are renewed and said, I can do this. And they get hope. It looks like a mom closed to faith in God because of all of her pain and suffering, giving her life to God the last day of camp because of one reason. She watched a woman clean her room every day and couldn't explain why. Just cleaning somebody's room. Kingdom. See the power? It's a boy who refused to do lessons at home or read because he had lost hope in his life. And he comes to camp and after two days goes back to his cabin and from 8 o'clock till midnight reads his Bible every night and then comes to his mom and says, can I have another Bible? I need to go give this to somebody. Kingdom. It's not just out there. It's happening everywhere. It's happening in here. The kingdom is coming. It happens when Molly Schaefer taking Sky, her friend with Down syndrome, to the prom. That's kingdom. It happens when Barb Brown quietly just gives her life to almost any couple in this church because they need time together and she makes sure it gets up. That's kingdom. It looks like baptism bash on Thursday night, but it's not just the party that was here. It's the story that was behind every one of those baptisms, kingdom. It looks like Beth and Anna and Nat, Natasha and Sharice and so many other putting their lives into Antioch kids. That's kingdom. It looks like five men saying that my back pain, which is going to slow me down, they are not going to put up with. Every time they see me, they grab me and pray for me, and I'm now pain-free for the first time in 14 months. It looks like a woman in this body coming to church and feeling so isolated and alone and praying to God, and God gives her a word, and that word is belonging. And it looks like her taking that fear and being brave enough to come up for ministry time and ask for somebody to pray, but not say what that word is. It looks like a, a person praying for that person and saying, all I keep hearing from God over you is belonging. Yeah. That's kingdom. It looks like a car given. It looks like money shared in the body. It looks like debts paid off. It looks like chains falling off. That's kingdom. And the kingdom is breaking out, and you want to be a part of it. There and there and everywhere, heaven touches earth. And you know what? When you see that, I don't care what you're going through. When you see heaven touch earth, your life's never the same again. We must be, and we get to be, the kingdom of God here on earth. We must be a people that carry confidence and faith. Give Jesus our little lives and he's going to build a kingdom on it. And it's going to be beautiful. And that gives us purpose. How important is your life? Jesus wants to build a kingdom on it. Will you give it to him? Paul on the road to Damascus received a personal invitation from Jesus to live and to bring the kingdom. We, the church that God builds, we here at Antioch, we, each one of us individually, receive the same invitation from Jesus' words and Jesus' life. If you live out there and you are measured out there, you will flounder 
and you will feel purposeless, bouncing from one thing to another, never realizing your purpose or your worth. But if you will give your life to Jesus and for his kingdom, if you will go to places of darkness, go to the places where the measuring stick of the world has left people feel forgotten, you will bring them from darkness into light. If you will go to the strongholds that the enemy has taken, and you will walk into depression, and you will walk into sickness, and you will walk into illness, and you will announce who you are and whose name you come in, you will grab them back from the domain of Satan and you will deliver people back to the reign and rule of God. If you go to the hungry and you will feed them, if you go to the hurting and help them, if you go to the lonely and invite them in, if you go to the people with no voice and you advocate them, then you will carry the full message of life out there and you won't believe how beautiful your life will be. And heaven will touch earth. It is not easy. And if you've heard me say that, I was wrong. It is not easy. But it is beautifully and wonderfully full. If you will be a part of the church that God built, then instead of living your life with a question mark, who am I? What is my purpose? Do I even matter? Whether you're famous or unknown, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're bound or whether you're free, you will have purpose and you will live your life as one big exclamation point. God is calling you to a life of purpose. Let's stand together for ministry time. First thing I wanted to invite is that if this is new to you, if this whole Jesus fullness, Jesus filling you, is